Welcome to There is a Method to the Madness. My name is Rob Maxwell and I'm an exercise physiologist and personal trainer. I'm the owner of Maxwell's Fitness Programs and I've been in business since 1994. That's 28 years if you're keeping score at home. I have had a calling for more scientific podcasts. They seem to be pretty popular. People like uh, to have their exercise physiology explained to them and then maybe put the practical purposes. So let me review quickly two of them that I've already covered thus far, oxygen deficit and oxygen debt. Oxygen deficit basically is the amount of anaerobic energy that is borrowed on the onset of aerobic or steady rate activity that needs to be paid back later. What that means in practical terms is if you are running in a race or biking in a race and you went out a little faster than your aerobic system can handle, you are able to do it because your anaerobic system has taken over to help you do it. But at the same time, the anaerobic system only lasts 90 seconds. So you are borrowing against your aerobic system, which means you will have to pay that back later. Everything evens out in time. That is the oxygen deficit. Oxygen debt is similar and it is now called EPOC, excess post oxygen consumption. It's similar in the sense that you have to pay energy back at the end and the energy being paid back is in the form of ATP. So as your body is trying to recover, you are burning more calories to help it recover because it actually costs energy to recover. Nothing is free. That's what oxygen debt is, which is why our metabolism and our body temperature remains elevated after an intense workout because the energy requirements are greater trying to help the body just get back to homeostasis, which is what the body is designed to do to keep you alive, keep you even, keep you at homeostasis stasis. On a similar note, we're going to stay on the aerobic system today and on aerobic training and I'm going to talk a little bit about cardiac drift. Cardiac drift is a very interesting phenomenon that I've experienced a multitude of times and I think we all have in our area and our area is Central Florida. Um, Speaking of our area, it's pretty cool when I look at the statistics on my server that hosts the podcast and it shows me where everybody is located that listens to this podcast or at least has downloaded at least one episode. And there are people from all over the world, which is pretty cool. But predominantly, most of the listeners are from my part of Central Florida that I see and literally in the same town of Port Orange, which, you know, that's understandable. We tend to listen to people we know, although I would definitely like this podcast to go further out. But in any event, if we live here in Central Florida, if we train here in Central Florida, we know that it is hot uh, by world standards, 10 months out of the year maybe. I mean, we think it's cold when it gets into the 50s and 60s and all that, but uh, by training standards, that's still pretty warm actually. Actually, that's pretty neutral, but we're hot, meaning 80 and above, most of the time. 
I'd say on the average 10 out of 12 months, we're gonna hit to the 80s. That's pretty hot. So let's talk a little bit about cardiac drift. Everything comes back to energy. I talked about that with oxygen deficit. I talked about that with oxygen debt. Everything is paying back energy. The energy and the currency for the human body is, or for any physical body is, ATP, adenosine triphosphate. That is the currency. Everything is about replenishment of that particular energy. Now, calories are also a measurement of energy for the body. So when we consume calories, those calories are broken down and digested to formulate more ATP or to resynthesize more ATP, I should say, because it is just simply moved from heart exhaust back into the system to create more ATP. All right, so everything has an energy component to it. Now, um, talking of energy, I just want to briefly state what two laws of thermodynamics are. The first law of thermodynamics states that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It simply gets moved from one form to another. So when you really think about it, and I don't want to get too deep on this podcast, although I would love to because I like deep shit, but that's pretty cool when you really, really think about it. Basically, your energy, you listening right now, our energy, you were never really created. You were moved from one to another, and you're never going to be destroyed. That's pretty cool when you think about that. First law of thermodynamics is a law. It's a fact. All right. The second law of thermodynamics basically states that on a horizontal, even playing field, everything gets brought back to center for the most part. I'm simplifying it. But basically what that means is that if there is high ground and there's water going down the high ground, it's going to meet the low ground and eventually everything is going to become neutral and even. That's the second law of thermodynamics. In other words, if it's raining and you have a dry patch of grass, eventually that water is going to find the dry patch of grass. Eventually, it could take longer than you want, which is why you have dry patches, but eventually it's going to find its place. That's the second law of thermodynamics. The way that I've seen it explained before that made sense to me was you drop an ice cube into a glass of water. Obviously, well, I would assume you would know that the ice cube is actually colder than the glass of water, even if it was ice water, because the ice water has already dissolved and the ice is frozen, you drop it into the ice water, eventually the glass of ice water becomes a greater glass of ice water. The ice water doesn't turn into ice from this smaller piece of ice. The ice is actually dissolved into the water, not the other way around. Sounds like common sense, but that basically is the second law of thermodynamics in action. And basically, how do we use it in exercise physiology? It means everything is going to even out. Energy is going to even out. So part of what I do coaching people and training people is try to get people to understand how do we best use our energy if everything is going to even out. And that's where today's topic of cardiac drift comes in. Cardiac drift is basically that your body is using energy to cool itself down 
in the heat. Plain and simple. Remember, your body's job is homeostasis. It wants you to survive. It thinks you're trying to kill it. So if you're out running in the heat, the body thinks, what is this insane person doing to me? I've got to do what it takes to survive. What it takes to survive means I've got to sweat more to cool this silly person down, to cool this body down. And so by doing that, that costs energy. So now the body has to ramp up the temperature to literally cool itself down because there is nothing free. There are no such things as free lunches. So to cool itself down requires more energy. What that means is then the energy that you were utilizing for ATP resynthesizing to make you go faster, like turn your legs over, pump your arms, and use the involuntary muscles of your heart and lungs has now been slightly taken away from that to go to the cooling system so the body can cool itself down and especially the brain. The body is always looking after the brain more than any other organ. That's its job. Cool the brain off. It's going to do what it takes to sweat, perspire because that is our body's cooling system. Thank God we have it. And the only time that that ever gets sabotaged is if we are dehydrating ourselves, which is what I talked about yesterday, which is the importance of having 20 or six ounces of water every 20 minutes during activity so the body can have just the amount of hydration it needs to cool itself down. But in any event, that was yesterday's. But that is the only time that our system can be broken down as if we're not doing our part and controlling what we can which is giving it the water it needs every 20 minutes which is at least six ounces and if we were good people we we drank a nice big water bottle one hour before activity and three hours prior to that anything directly in front of that time period is just going to sit in your stomach and slosh around so you want a nice three hour and one hour window to make sure you're hydrated and then six ounces every 20 minutes and there you go you have done what you can sometimes more isn't necessarily worse when it's really hot out i'd rather see somebody do that than to put themselves at risk but in any event so what happens is you might be running along and normally let's say you can run an eight minute mile at 150 beats per minute and you're tracking it using your smartwatch or in the old fat in the old days the old-fashioned heart rate monitors you are simply tracking your heart rate and you're running along. Normally you can do, say, again, an eight minute mile at 150 beats per minute. But you're running in a uh, Easter beach run, so it's a little bit warmer. And you look down and all of a sudden you're still running your eight minute mile, but you are 15 beats higher than normal. So you're at 165 instead of 150. Now you could say, oh, you know, it's, it's no big deal. I'm okay, I'm gonna continue to hold this. Wrong, that is physiologically impossible. You have to adjust your pace because remember, as I talked about with oxygen deficit, your body will simply start to slow you down if you don't make the adjustments to the heat. So that's why it's very, very important to first understand that on a hot day, you're not gonna run the same times that you're going to run on a nice, cool, or neutral day. And when I say a hot day, I'm not talking the middle of the day, I'm talking literally you could be running a 5K that starts at seven o'clock in the morning, 
in August here in Florida and it's already going to be 80 degrees. And you might be thinking, well, 80 degrees isn't really that hot. I mean, if you live around here, you know what I mean. That's not that hot. But it is for running, which is why when you look at most running events around the country, they're going to be in locations where it's a lot cooler and the PRs are going to be in areas where it is a lot cooler and basically the ideal running temperature is in the 40s not the 80s not anywhere close so you are actually going to see world records that have little asterisks by them that will say whether it was in a hot condition because pretty much every scientist that's ever studied these world records know that your body your vo2 max which is the gold standard for measuring your cardiorespiratory fitness and endurance is going to be greatly greatly elevated in hotter conditions so basically those times are thrown out and they're not held against an athlete because they know it's simply too hot and in those types of events then you're you're racing against yourself as far as i want to push myself to be the best i can in my age group or I'm trying to win this race or I'm trying to get over some other obstacle but the point is if you're running in the heat you're not going to run your fastest day unless you're very very new to running so interesting information but how can we utilize this information first and foremost understand it understand that everything gets paid back so if you want to have a remotely decent 5k 10k or bike time trial or whatever you're gonna have to go slower in the heat than you normally do. The cardiac drift is going to account for anywhere from 10 to 15 beats in your heart rate at your steady state heart rate. Your steady state heart rate means basically the heart rate that your body settles into in an endurance event, an endurance run, and it kind of stays steady the whole time, which is why it's called steady rate. So mine might early on in a 5k get around 150 and then maybe start to ease up closer to 160 after the halfway point and not really get much higher than that it's going to stay somewhere around there so cardiac drift would say it's going to get up to 160 when it was normally 150 and i'm actually going at the same pace which means i'm going to have to slow that pace down because again, there's no such thing as free energy. It's going to come back and get me in the form of oxygen deficit eventually. So I'm gonna to have to slow that down and adjust. That's just what the heat does. All right, so again, how do we utilize this information? Number one, understand it. Understand that it doesn't go away. Understand that it's a fact. Number two, don't beat yourself up about it. Understand that everybody else lined up with you, either it's in training or in racing or in whatever, is going to have the same thing, even though, of course, I would say 99% of people aren't aware of that, unless they have physiology degrees or they're coached by somebody, because coaches do talk about this with their athletes. But the minority of people are going to understand, and it really doesn't matter. I think common sense also tells us, too, that it's pretty hot out and we're probably not gonna go as fast as we did in January when the 5K temperatures were somewhere around 38 degrees, which some people overdress for and then it comes back and bite them, but basically those are ideal temperatures. So understand it. Second, adjust for the pace and not beat yourself up and simply understand that 
you are now not racing for PRs, you are racing, you know, maybe you know people at the race you typically run around and you can kind of use them as your gauge because everybody's going to be a little bit slower. Maybe you practice miles, you know, whatever you do, but just you're not going to look for PRs on that. The biggest thing you can do though, and I say this all the time to people, is underdress. Don't overdress. You will see a lot of people that have run for many, many years all over the country at 5Ks in as little clothes as possible. They're not showing off. Some of these people, you know, and I'm not being judgmental, more power to them, have a lot of less clothes on and you think, oh my, but you know what? They're doing the right thing. They're smart. They're not showing off. They're not being inappropriate. They're not doing any of those things. Basically, men that care about their race times should run shirtless in shorts and shoes. And that's it. That's basically going to be the best remedies to, to stay as cool as possible. Now, years ago, I think it was about 15 years ago, when Under Armour first broke into the scene. Now, I have nothing against Under Armour. It's pretty funny as I'm actually wearing an Under Armour shirt right now. I actually like them. I think they're good products. But they really did kind of take everybody by storm by kind of giving some misinformation. But again, as I've talked about before, it's not up to people that are in the business to make money to always have to explain themselves. It is really up to the consumer to research it themselves. I mean, it's not that Under Armour actually came out wide, but they basically said that if you wear like certain warm weather wicking clothing, it's going to cool you off. I actually saw runners back then wearing long sleeve tight Under Armour shirts in the heat, thinking that that was going to cool them off more than wearing no shirt at all, which we know in science is not true. As little clothing as possible, you want your body to sweat. That's how we cool down. So when perspiration hits the skin, it evaporates and that's what cools us off. If we're wearing clothing that soaks it up and then we're running along with hot, wet clothes, think about that. We're not perspiring as much. The water's staying trapped and it's like a furnace. I have seen people running on the beach here in the Daytona Beach area wearing shirts and, and shorts and shirts and whatever and jump under those showers to cool down, which is a great idea if you're done, but then continue the run and I'm thinking, oh my God, that hot weighted clothing is going to make them so hot. It's only going to stay cool for so long and then guess what? it is going to become your body temperature because remember that nice little second law of thermodynamics, which basically states everything evens out at the end. So this nice cool shirt now becomes this nice 101 temperature shirt because that's probably around or 100 degrees maybe. What your body temperature is at the time, that doesn't feel so good. So we learn to wear as little as possible. Types of shorts doesn't matter as far as um, cardiac drift goes. In other words, it really doesn't matter if it's spandex tights or shorts. They're both going to get hot, but as little as possible. Wear them as high as you can. Obviously, other issues might get involved like chafing or whatever, but again, those are totally different things. But the bottom line is don't fall for the silly 
certain type of clothes are going to keep me cooler than having as little clothes as possible. And again, this is for people trying to do their absolute best. If you're a little bit like uh, modest and you, you, know, you don't want to do that if you're a man or if you're a woman and you don't want to wear a uh, sports bra that's designed for that and then showing your stomach and then short shorts and sh I mean I get it that's again this is for ideal and, and again we're talking you know when I talk about this stuff I don't want you to think you know you're gonna go from you know uh, meddling in your age group in a local 5k and you, you you listen to my podcast and you learned about auction deficit you learned about oxygen drift and you learned about all these or cardiac drift you learned about all these great things and you know next thing you know you're going to stand on the olympic podium because you're going to take eight minutes off your 5k i mean no of course not i mean please understand we're talking seconds here we're talking seconds or maybe a minute but i am talking like comfort you know if you want to actually feel relatively good during your event you don't want to be too hot because I've seen people that I coach way overdress here in Florida for 5Ks and 10Ks and things like that. It's not about your comfort level at the starting line. It's not about that. I mean, I have done a marathon before where the temperatures were starting at 28 degrees at the Disney Marathon one year and we had to stay in this ridiculous, stupid shoot for two hours before they started the race, and I won't even get into the politics of that, but basically Disney wanted everybody there early, so you had to stay the night, blah, blah, blah. But it was a wicked cold morning. So it's not about staying comfortable there. I mean, obviously I wasn't comfortable. I did all I could with my bag that I could throw away, with throwaway sweatpants I wore until the start and all this kind of stuff and I still huddled up against the thing against as many people as I could which I didn't exactly like because I don't exactly like being crowded in with a bunch of people but you got to do what you got to do to stay warm and then as soon as they told us they're going to start the race in two or three minutes I stripped down I got down to I don't remember I think I wore like a uh, a t-shirt the whole time I don't think I wore a long sleeve and, and keep in mind it was 28 degrees got down to a t-shirt, my normal running shorts, socks and shoes, obviously. Maybe I had a hat on, I don't remember that. I might have ditched a mile one, I have no idea. I just know that like for two minutes, life sucked. And I could not wait for them to start the stupid gun. And I probably didn't warm up until half a mile in or so, but that's why you do it, because then from that half a mile to 25.8 or so more miles left, you're actually not hating life because you're not overheated and believe it or not your body will warm up not that this is about this but just a little tip if you um, you know are doing a longer race like this and it's cold always have warm clothes at the end which Disney in fairness to them did provide they gave out those little aluminum foil whatever the heck they are things thermal things to runners so as soon as they cross the finish line they were well aware how cold it was and even though it had been three or four hours or so it's still pretty darn cold out it's not 28 anymore but maybe it's a low 50s and that's still damn cold especially when you've been sweating so they give you the little thermal blankets to throw over yourself until you find your clothes which is very very helpful so you are going to possibly get into a hypothermic state after exercise if you don't have 
the appropriate clothing to put over you because you've been sweating. So a body in motion is far warmer than a body that is stagnant. Just keep in mind, I would hate for you to listen to this podcast, go to a cold event, not have clothes afterwards and really freeze and uh, you know possibly put yourself in danger. So we wouldn't want that. But in any event, that's what cardiac drift is. It's gonna be a difference of about 10 or 15 beats in the summertime. So adjust your goals, hydrate, understand what it is, pace yourself appropriately, and wear very little clothing. Again, if you're modest and you don't wanna do that for whatever reason, I completely understand. Just know that you're gonna go a little bit slower and that's okay too, it's whatever you're comfortable with. Um, I'll tell a very quick story on that, then I'll wrap it up. I have a friend who has been doing endurance events for a really, really, really long time, and he understands physiology, he understands this stuff. As a matter of fact, he was a PE teacher, and he understood a lot of this, mostly from his experience as a runner. But I once said to him, I said, hey, you know, you'd run a little bit faster if you weren't wearing that shirt. You know, he would wear these regular t-shirts, but they're cotton, they're pretty damn hot. He said, yeah, you know, but I teach PE and a lot of my students come out to these races. I talk them into coming and doing these 5Ks and I just think it's inappropriate for them to see their PE teacher with no shirt on. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That's okay. Totally get it, you know, and I'll always remember that. He's, he's given me other uh, little nuggets of, uh, you know, cool character things. So, again, it, this is about making yourself go faster if you want to go faster and obviously that's not as important as character in my opinion and so I'm just putting both sides out there hopefully you understand the physiology and you can make up your mind what you think is best for you so we've covered three points I you know I was a teacher so you know it gets a little old hearing this repetition I'm sorry but you know I like to make sure I cover it so we've covered three points we've covered oxygen deficit, oxygen debt, and now cardiac drift. I'm gonna to continue to cover these physiological things because again, I got a little, a little shout out telling me how much they enjoy the science because they just don't get to hear enough of it. So I'm all about that, I love it. That's why I studied it. Without further ado, I would like to thank our sponsors, Jonathan and Lynn Gilden at the Gilden Group at Realty Pros. And as I stated yesterday, they signed on for another three months. They're very happy and we're very happy to have them. They're both hustling and fit, and obviously they're real estate agents and they can help you get what you need. They currently have over 275 star reviews on Zillow, and between them, over 100 million in sales. That means they're pretty damn good. That speaks for itself. So if you need help, check them out at thegildengroup.com or call Jonathan and or Lynn on their business phone at 386-451-2412. And until next time, be max fit and be max well.